This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, we did the season review, the overview of Albion's season, where it went wrong, where aspects of it went right, why there are reasons to potentially be uh, be cheerful. Um, but today, um, we're going to take a more granular look into the squad and with a, very much a view to next season. So we're going to start off going through positions. We're going to dedicate a podcast to each area of the pitch because we don't want to rattle through this and have to do goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, attackers, all in one podcast, because that's either A, going to be a very long pod, or two, uh, A and two, my goodness me, that uh, that's that's even worse than my intro that got timed at nine minutes, three seconds by a, by, by a listener last uh, last week, Pete, which, uh, by the way, I do, I do quite like the fact that, that how long I talk for at the start of these pods is now, is, is now being timed and, uh, and my record being tweeted to me, which, which I have to say, I appreciate. Do you want to say something at this point, Pete, just so that you've actually got a word in, uh, in the first two or three minutes? I thought you were going to try and beat your record, but um... <laughs> no, I'm going to I'm going to save that for a few weeks and kind of like spring it on someone where I talk for like fourteen, fifteen minutes. You can just do it on a week where I'm not not about and just talk for the whole fifteen minutes and have people waiting for me to come in. Would yeah, I was going to say uh, how long how long do you, uh, do you reckon I could get into the pod before people realise you're not actually here? I think it'd have to be at least twenty minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think I think I could pre- I could pretty much string out a twenty minute pod pretending that you're here and and never throwing to you and people actually would just just would think that I'm indulging myself, which which would be fairly reasonable given on past experience to be honest. But um, but yeah, we we we'll go through each area of the squad today. We'll be dedicated to the goalkeepers and defenders because. Um, I think there's there's not going to be a great deal to say on the goalkeepers, but I think the defenders is going to be 
a pretty dedicated area. I think it's an area where we feel there needs to be a little bit of turnover, a little bit of work, certainly a bit more increased depth. So we will have a look through it. We will talk about the players that we've got and whether we think they should stay or not. We will talk about the younger players and say whether or not we think they're ready to step up and be a part of the first team squad or whether they need another loan. And if we say players should go, we will very much do it through the lens of what is realistic. So, you know, we will come on to this, for example. But to give you an example, there are many people out there who probably think Carl Bartley has reached the end of his West Bromwich Albion journey. Okay, but the reality of the situation is who is going to take him at his age with one year left on his deal. So that's very much going to form a part of our discussions. But to start off with, Pete, we'll start off with the goalkeepers. And Mr. David Button, I think let's start number one with the number one, which we started the season with. I mean, statistically, the worst goalkeeper in the league let in nearly half the shots he, he he faced. I mean, he he should certainly not go into next season anywhere near the number one shirt. There's no doubting that. Ideally, we go into next season with him not as a West Bromwich Albion player, but due to the foolhardy nature of us throwing a two-year deal at him, which I cannot for the life of me, life of me understand... We 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 have a contract with the guy for another year, and to be honest, I don't for the life of me, Pete, see how we move him on. I don't I I don't see I don't see who in their right mind would take him. I mean, you know, um, he's he's the only use I can see for him is as a bench warmer. Well, you can get cheaper blankets. Well, yeah, I mean that's probably the only way that we could move him on as a number two. You know, they're sometimes a bit of a specialist breed where they're happy to to sit on the bench and kind of just um well, not be uh not be miserable about it and not bring the mood down and just kind of be ready for for when they're called upon. I mean, we had my health for a number of years and and he kind of did that perfectly with Foster, didn't he? And and from what I understand, they he, he had a did. great relationship. They they did. I mean, I, I, just jumping in there, just because I, I I work with a pair of them. Boaz is just an un- unbelievable bloke. Just like so happy and upbeat around uh, around the training ground. Consumed more Red Bull than I've ever seen one human being consume. Which I'm not quite sure how healthy that was, but uh, but he was just a bundle of energy. Partly due to the taurine running through his system, but 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 also, uh, but also he was just genuinely a really really top life affirming bloke. I remember uh, I remember some of the players saying on on Boaz that, that they actually some it was a bit of a, an acquired taste to sit next to Boaz on the substitutes bench because apparently Boaz commentates through the whole game when he sat on the subs bench. So um, you know it's um, it, but he was just a brilliant bloke. Fozzie loved him. The, the goalkeeping coaches loved him. But the difference between Boaz and Button, Pete, is when he was called upon, Boaz was actually a good goalkeeper. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I don't think... I mean, I think Button did did all right last season. Well, not the season that's just finished, but the season before under Ishmael and Bruce towards the end, when he was called upon in patches, I think he did all right. But it just seemed to be, from the start of this season, as soon as he pulled on the... the as soon as he had the first spot in the in the team he um yeah he just has had some terrible performances so I don't know if if maybe he's more suited to being a number two and maybe someone could pick him up in that way but again I can't see people 
a club really coming in and actually paying money for him. Um, I think the only way it might happen is if we kind of just agree to to let him go and they take him on and, and we just get him off our wage bill. But yeah, I mean, after the performances this season, I, I can't see him really being involved because, well, as you say, he had a save rate of 50%. You know, he's letting in about half a goal per game more than he should have been based on the quality of shots he was facing. And, and I mean, yeah. some of them were horrendous as well, Pete. I mean, Birmingham away won't won't leave anybody's memory anytime soon, will they? I mean, it's not because it's not just it. The thing is, I, I, I was openly critical of him after the Blackburn away game where I felt he should have stopped one of those two shots from from Brereton, Diaz and Gallagher. But if that had continued as the type of goal he was letting in, He'd have probably got away with it to a certain degree. People like us would have highlighted the data, but uh, but but to the larger uh, to to people who don't look at the numbers and just looked at the games, they would say, okay, but these aren't horrendous goals that he's letting in. But it's when he started letting in goals like uh, like 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 he did um, against Birmingham away, the one against Swansea where he gets caught underneath the cross. I mean, these aren't mistakes Pete they're howlers and that's a and there's a big difference yeah and I mean I think in some respects he's probably better off with a move away because it felt like it was just you know he was low on confidence and that wasn't helping him and he was letting him weaker and weaker goals and then you know his confidence would drop even more so maybe a, a move away and being like a number two at a club would would suit him because he'd be less in the spotlight as is at Albion because um, I yeah I've struggled to see how he gets himself back into the picture for any any perform for any um well to get any uh any games at the Albion anymore because well we've got Alex Palmer and Josh Griffiths as well who have both been both been pretty good this season who we'll come to come on to in just a minute um I, I thought for a moment there though Pete you were going to do a PR job for um uh, for, uh, for for David Button interesting to see this morning cuz uh, this is very pertinent given that we're going to spend the next three pods talking about players and transfers and recruitment and things like that. interesting to see a bit of a PR job on on Ian Pierce being done this morning a few comments from um uh, Carlos Corbran uh, saying that uh, that he thinks we've got uh, got a got a good recruitment department and um the the headline i felt um kind of beefed up what uh, uh, what um what Corbran said the headline referred to um uh, to um, Corbran talking up Ian Pierce, I'm not necessarily sure he did that. I felt he was he was clearly asked a direct question about what he thought about the recruitment department and and, and what else is he supposed to say um, other than yeah, good guys, good uh, d- doing a good job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's certainly not going to go in the press and and say negative things. I have to say, I take what um what Corbran has said in the press today about Ian Pierce and the recruitment department. Anybody who listens to this pod regularly knows that I don't rate Ian Pierce one little bit. I think he's done an awful job since he's been at the club. I don't think the recruitment department is fit for purpose. That's my personal opinion. You know, I've not worked in recruitment and again, anybody who listens to the pod regularly knows I have a lot of friends who do work in recruitment. So whilst I don't have direct knowledge from working in recruitment, I like to think I speak to people in the industry enough to have at least have enough knowledge to have an opinion um and my opinion is that I don't think Ian Pierce is good enough for the job and when we get on to talking about the potential players that we could be bringing in and just 
spoiler alert, but there's not there's not going to be any that we're going to suggest in the goalkeeping department because I don't think Pete, Pete or I think for one moment it's an area where we need to spend any money this summer. But when we get on to that, Pete, I think one of the big concerns is how deep are we going to go to find these players? How much research are we are we going to going to do? Because we'll we'll talk about our defender candidates in a moment. And I've got a number written down and most of mine, generally speaking, are because I did a little text around last night when I was writing this list and a lot of the information I I had around the ones that I've highlighted are good character, leader, things like that. Because I think that's that's an area where we've let ourselves down in the past, in, in recent in the recent past, is not buying the right characters. And it does concern me that will Ian Pierce do the depth of research? I don't buy the little bit of PR propaganda that's gone on today around him. I think it, it, it's the only thing Corbran could say in answer to that question. I don't think the guy is good enough. And if I'm honest, where I would start West Bromwich Albion's recruitment this summer is with some recruitment staff, is with a sporting director. If If I'm honest, if that's the... If we could make one key signing this summer, that would be it for me. That would be that would that would be the biggest area where I would like to see us recruit. I don't know about you. Probably is quite an important area. Well, it definitely is quite an important area because if you don't have the right stuff in there, how can you expect to bring in the right players? Um, as I've said before, I know they've brought in a couple of non-league scouts, um, but you should see how you're going to bring non-league players straight into into the championship and at work. I mean, Brandon Thomas Sante is maybe proving me wrong there because he's not non-league, but you know, one league away from being non-league, and he's, I think he's done excellently in his first season in the championship. But 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 again, the 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 route to getting him in was not it was it was not it was not through quality scouting, was it? I mean, I, there's something to be said for having friends in the industry who can recommend players to you, but. Uh, call me uh, uh, call me new fashioned because the old fashioned way probably was to ring people up and go what about this guy but call me uh, uh, you know call me grumpy or whatever but i don't like that i i feel like there's more luck involved than judgment there and i would much rather that we were that we had an extremely strong database and a good scouting network who who, who were scouring these these networks rather than picking up players that your pal rings you up and goes, he's worth a look. Yeah, I think obviously there's, I mean, having the connections is key and you need those relationships, but you're better off finding the players yourself and then using the connections to kind of get a bit, you know, a bit of an understanding of what the player's like, personality-wise, how he trains, etc. And and then using your connections. I don't think your whole recruitment should be based on my mate here has told me he's a good player, let's have a look at him. It should be, okay, who who's good? you find them and then you go and speak to people and, and use your connections and relationships. But yeah, um, obviously improving the rec- recruitment department is going to be very important, um, especially after the article that Elias Burke put out talking about the transfers that we made and you know where it was kind of revealed that we signed Tom- Thomas Asante because he's Bruce's son-in-law's teammate or whatever it was and Eric Peters was his neighbour and and all of this, we feels like we actually need to go out and do our own recruitment rather than just kind of using these connections, as as we just said. 
I mean, the other thing is as well, Pete, uh, it felt like we'd become that club who reacted off the back of other people's business. I mean, Brandon may have come from uh, come from uh, Matt Smith recommending him, but also it felt like we moved for him when Birmingham did. We did similar with, with Tahith Chong as well. And I remember back to my days at the club that when we were very, very good at recruitment, it used to be a, it used to be a bit of a running joke around the, around the recruitment department that there was a list of sort of like three or four clubs. I won't name them, but three or four clubs of a similar size to us in the Premier League. This is back in the Premier League days that our recruitment department used to say, wait till it breaks that we're in for that guy. And you watch that club, that club, that club and that, that club will go for them because, you know, they're basically not doing their own scouting, but they know West Brom scouting is good and they're waiting to see who West Brom go for and then trying to trying to poach them. I, I don't know. I kind of felt in the summer that's where we got to. Yeah, and I didn't know that was a running joke within the club. But I always felt that whenever we were linked with a player, it seemed like West Ham we could go and be linked with a player as well. So, yeah, it felt like we were always... Well, well either, that or, either that or West Ham making derisory bids for, for, for our players. Uh, that was... Um, that was that was a very Golden Sullivan um, trick back in uh, back in the day of um, convince your fans that you're actually in for players when you when you're offering uh, millions below market value for them. Yeah, but you know it felt like back then when we had the, the recruitment that was led by Dan Ashworth. Yeah, it felt like we were leading the chase and other clubs following us. But but now it feels like we're the ones that are following other clubs around and. Um, trying to take them off their hands once they've spotted players. A bit like it, it felt like it was with Brandon Thomas, Santi and Birmingham. And obviously to Heath Chung as well with Birmingham, it felt like, well, that one, we seem to come in just maybe a little bit too late, but... Did did yeah. did similar with Davis as well at Watford, didn't we? I mean, that, that, that seemed a very late move from us. Yeah, that was another one. We were just, again, too slow and just behind, behind the queue of other clubs that, have, you know, started the process before us and and like you say, we we were just kind of reacting, and and if if we'd done our own recruitment and got our own list, then maybe we might have, you know, gotten early enough to to lead the chase and be in a better position to bring players in. But yeah, I mean, that was another famous or infamous article that, or just an interview actually. I think it was that Bruce said that there wasn't a list, but mm. you know, there you go. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's it. So, as I say, I'm just not I'm not buying I'm not buying the PR around uh, Ian Pierce, and uh, and I would like to say this as well, categorically on record, I am always happy to be proven wrong, um, and and admit that I'm wrong when if I'm critical of someone within West Bromwich Albion, as I've been critical for pretty much the entire time we've been doing this pod of Ian Pierce, that if he proves me wrong. I will gladly eat a nice big slab of humble pie and I will say so on this pod. And I, I really hope he makes me do that because I would like nothing more than for us to have an excellent recruitment department. But my honestly held view, and it is just my opinion, it is just my opinion, my honestly held uh, held view at this moment in time is that we don't have that and that it is going to cost us uh, down the line. Fortunately, we don't have to do any recruitment in the goalkeeper department because whilst Button has been an unmitigated disaster in the season just gone, Pete, we've got two excellent young, young-ish uh, goalkeepers because it's it, it it's it's very easy to to talk about 
Alex Palmer in terms of being a a, a young goalkeeper. But the, the, the reality of the situation with Alex is, is that he is 26. I mean, it's still young for a goalkeeper, but it's it, but it's also fairly experienced at the same time. And then obviously you've got 21-year-old Josh Griffiths as well. Now, obviously Palmer had an outstanding time when he first came into the, it came into the into the side. Um, his numbers make for very 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 pretty reading. Forty four percent of games he had a clean sheet in. Absolutely incredible. That was over fifty percent at one point before he got injured. So his his numbers were absolutely incredible. Seventy two percent of his uh, uh, shots on target was saved as well. He he's he's done he's done very very well. Griffiths' numbers are not quite as impressive, although it's worth saying. I mean, he's he's still got forty percent of his games clean sheets, which is extremely impressive. I have to say though, because I I know there's some people out there who think Palmer is significantly the better goalkeeper, and for some reason, I mean, I make the mistake of uh, of looking on. At, at some of the sort of verging on troll comments from from people, um, I, you know, I won't name any any names, but I, I'm sure anybody who frequents any uh, some of the Albion sites knows knows the kind of people I'm talking about who like to have a go at Griffiths. First of all, I find that ludicrous that you'd have a go at a 21 year old who is learning his trade, and by the way, looks a real real talent. But the other thing is. Actually, when you look when you look at the two goalkeepers, Palmer and Griffiths, through the lens of when they've both had a similar defence in front of them, their numbers aren't that dissimilar at all. Palmer's excellent numbers, and he did have excellent numbers, and he turned in some excellent performances, but they were largely with that extremely settled back four and two defensive midfielders in front of him of Furlong. O'Shea, Peters, Townsend, Yukoslu, Malumbi. Now, when Griffiths came into the side, at that uh, around that time is when that defence and that midfield started to get disrupted with a few injuries. And it's interesting that that affected Griffiths' numbers a little bit. And when Palmer comes back into the side, which is a fairer comparison to Griffiths' numbers because he obviously had to suffer with a disrupted defence, Mullumby and Yukoslu not fully fit. Actually, Palmer's numbers are very similar to Griffiths'. I like them both, Pete. I think they're both really, really good goalkeepers. They're both young enough that they've got tons and tons of football in front of them, and I think they can compete the heck out of each other next season for that number one shirt. But if you're saying to me, how much is there to pick between them? For me, it's a slip of paper between them. I think Palmer is marginally the better goalkeeper. And that all that probably is, in my opinion, I don't know the blokes personally, but all that probably is, is just the little bit of maturity that comes from being five years older than the other bloke. But in terms of talent, in terms of what they're doing on a pitch, okay, you know, Griffiths has let the odd goal in that he shouldn't do. But then again... So's Palmer. So in the latter part of the season, not in the earlier part when he came in, but in the latter part, Palmer let one or two. I take you back to Millwall. He's dived the wrong blooming way for the goal. So you've got to look at that and say, goalkeepers just make mistakes. That's not me having a go at Alex Palmer, by the way. Goalkeepers make mistakes. They have moments. I saw David De Gea chuck one in the, the other day. It's been one of the best goalkeepers the last 10 years. 
goalkeepers chuck one in from time to time. It happens. So Josh Griffiths not keeping out Ben, ben Brereton Diaz's strike against Blackburn is not is not a condemnation of him as a goalkeeper. I just I just think we're really 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 lucky in that area. I'm staggered, by the way, that it took Steve Bruce eleven games, eleven games to drop David Button. Do you know how many games it took Carlos Corbran to do the same thing? Two, two games, and he kept the he kept a clean sheet in the first one. I mean, he only had to face one shot on target, as I recall, but he kept a clean sheet nonetheless. It took him one look again uh, at Birmingham away at David Button, and he went no. No, I am not costing my season, my job on this bloke. Steve Bruce persevered with him for 11 games. And there's there's a big part of me that thinks that potentially cost us our season. It cost Steve Bruce's job. No, Not necessarily any bad thing. It cost Steve Bruce's job because I don't think he was the right man for us in the long term. But the, I, I think Steve Bruce, if he dropped button earlier, probably would have got a lot more games as West Bromwich Albion manager. And I think that we would have got a lot more points in the early part of the season if he'd actually axed Button when he should have done. So he shouldn't be anywhere near. But in terms of the other two, Pete, I don't think there's anything really between the two of them. I think they're just both really, really good young goalkeepers. When Palmer came in, he seemed to be performing excellently and you know had some of the best numbers in the league for um, the metric preventing goals per 90, which is, takes into consideration the the quality of the shot, whether it's in the corner, um, how hard it's been hit, etc. Um, and, you know, it judges you on how you'd expect the average shot stopper to perform and zero is, is average. Um, but then he, he kind of dropped off um, a little bit and over the whole season, he, he's averaged minus 0.01 prevented goals per 90. So, you know, very marginally under average for what you'd expect the the average keeper to to save, um, but saying that it's it's above the uh, above the fiftieth percentile, so he's he's actually in the the top half of goalkeepers, which is a slightly confusing. But either way, he did drop off towards the, the second half of the season, but he was still performing, you know, about average for a shot stopping. Um, and Josh Griffiths, if you consider his his loan spell as well, then you know he was at minus zero point zero two, which Again, is just you know it's it's about average in terms of shot stopping, much better than what David Button was. But um, I think the other thing that they both have is the fact that they they come for more crosses as well. And again, it's it's very close between the two of them. I think if you, if you look at the the percentile ranks for each metric, and you know we'll post this out, um, then you can see that they've both kind of got similar similar well similar numbers. Um, they're both come for crosses, you know, high number of aerial duels and, and exits, which are just kind of claimed crosses, whether you punch it or catch it, which is obviously very useful. Josh Griffiths has has higher numbers, but again, this is using some of the data from his spell um, in League One this season, so, you know, it might be a slightly unfair comparison. Um, but the passing, it's a similar story. they both both got um, pretty good numbers in terms of the passing. Josh Griffiths still much better um, in terms of, you know, actual passes, accurate pass accuracy, long pass accuracy. So I think given given a bit of time and trust, then I could see Griffiths surpassing Palmer relatively quickly. Um, I think both are, are good options in this division. And 
I really don't think we need to be looking at any goalkeepers. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be an interesting battle between the two of them. Unless and, we uh, unless we sell one of them, <laughs> of course. Well, that's true. But but e- yeah, but even I mean, then, I wouldn't think if we sold one of them, I wouldn't look for a number one. Would you? No, no, I trust the other one that we've got and look to bring in. Probably look to bring in a number two. Um, again, we. I suppose it's difficult if we do sell one of them, whether you do look to bring in a number two, because if you if you can't move button on, do you just trust him to be your number two and, and rely on him if he gets called upon? Oh, dear God, no. But then can, have we got the budget to, to bring in a number two and actually spend money on one? I'd probably rather see Ted can sit on the bench, Pete, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, that's true. That's another option. But, I think, well, he's extremely inexperienced. Did he get a loan move for the second half of the season? I believe he did, yes. Yeah, I think he I think he went somewhere relatively local, but, but yeah, I mean apart from that he's not got any experience of, of senior football, I don't think. But yeah, I think that would be a bit of a risk if he was trusted with the the spot on the bench for the keepers. Well, that's everything on the keepers for now. As I say, I don't think either of us think that we should be looking for any replacements in those particular areas. We'll take a short break now and after the break we'll have a look at Albion's defensive options. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome back to Albion Analysis. So we looked at the goalkeepers in the first part. Now, Pete, it's time to turn our attention to the defenders. And I think the first place to start is with Albion's centre-back options, because I think this is probably the area where... There's, I think out of the whole squad, there's probably the most decisions to be made. Now, I think realistically speaking, uh, we said at the start, whether, whether or not we think players should get moved on or not, we said we'd very much do this through the lens of what we think is realistic. Would it be fair to say that I don't think either you or I think in any way, shape or form it's realistic to move Semi Ajayi or Carl Bartley on this summer. 29 and 31 years old, respectively. Of course, Bartley has one year left on his contract. I I have to say I don't see anybody coming in and either taking over their existing deal, which in Bartley's case in particular is going to be particularly chunky. And I just don't see people paying fees for them. Uh, Ajayi's had a very inconsistent season. I don't see anybody scrambling to come and get him. I think Bartley's still a very good defender at this level, as long as you play to his strengths and let him be a box defender. But at 31, and the other concern with Bartley, which will stop people sniffing around him, 
is injuries. S- seven starts this season. I, I, until I went and did the data, I didn't even realize it was that low, Pete. But he's only started seven matches this season. I mean, I just don't see any any way, even if there was a desire to, that we move those two players on this summer. No, I think we'll struggle. Um, and that's where we've got to be realistic, isn't it? That I think in an ideal world, you'd move one of them on, probably Bartley coming towards the end of his career and probably isn't the kind of centre-back that we want playing under under Corbran. I think you'd probably want somebody that's a bit better with the ball at his feet and has got a bit more technical ability rather than just somebody who's going to be, you know, kind of just solid and, and head away crosses and it could be a massive threat from set pieces under Corbran, with given how proficient Corbran is at organising those. Yeah, of course, he's, he's excellent in the air um, in both boxes, so it's going to be a threat from set pieces. But does his strength from set pieces kind of outweigh maybe his weakness of him being able to successfully and regularly play out from the back? Um, I'm not so sure. I think we'd be better off with somebody that's got that aerial ability but um is also a bit bit more of a te- technical centre back and would be more comfortable with the ball at his feet and playing out of pressure. But yeah, when we've got a, a budget like ours, I suppose we've not got the um you know, beggars can't be choosers, can they? They can't, Pete, but but to that to that point, that is where we've suffered this season, isn't it? Because for all of Dar O'Shea's defensive qualities and and of those he has a lot when he got injured, what we lost massively as well was the one player who really played out from the back. And I think what it shows glaringly is that we don't have that in the squad in any real way. And I I, I do think if we're going to get that, that's probably something we need to go external for because we haven't got it anywhere really, have we? Eric Peters has tried to do that job. I have to say, I don't think he's very good at it. I, I, my, my, I've, I've written notes here on each player, and, and my, my notes on Eric Peters are very, very short, consistent but limited. Is, 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 is my take on Eric Peters? I like him. I think he's solid. I think he. I think you know you're just going to get 7 out of 10, 7 out of 10, 7 out of 10 over and over again out of Eric Peters most weeks. And I, I am a fan of his, but you ask him to play a bit more of an expansive game, carry the ball out from the back or or, or start to play out from the back. And I think you're going beyond his skill set. Semi can't pass. He can carry the ball out, but he can't pass for me. He's his, his Some of his distribution is beyond woeful to be honest and and then I look at the two that are coming back and Kipre everything I've seen in the in the data he looks like he basically looks like a younger Ajayi to me uh Kipre because uh, because again his strength is very well actually that's probably not entirely fair in terms of his offensive uh, output because he carries the ball out the, from the back as well, like Ajayi does. That's where the similarity lies. I think where there's a big, big difference and where Kipre has got the upper hand on Ajayi is that Kipre, the threat he offers from set pieces is actually extremely high. And Ajayi, it's an area for a guy who is as tall as he is, should be offering more and he lets himself down. I think my problem with Kipre is that does he fit into our system? Because he seems to, every time I've seen Kipre have a really good game, 
it seems to have been in a three centre-back formation. And if we are going to continue with four at the back, I wonder whether Kipre can play that situation, uh, that, that formation. And then just purely focusing on the passing numbers, Caleb Taylor is something of a quandary just because Cheltenham have not asked him to do that this season. His passing numbers are really poor but then that might just be down to style of play. So we don't know with Caleb Taylor. We might have a player who's capable of doing that, but has just not been asked to do it. But there's nothing in the data to suggest that outside of Dar O'Shea, we've got anything in Semi Ajayi, Carl Bartley, Eric Peters, Caleb Taylor, or Cedric Kipre that can replace Dar O'Shea as a ball-playing centre-half in the existing squad. And for me, Pete, it's probably something we need to go external and recruit. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with all of those summaries. Um, Ajayi just, yeah, he seems to get panicked on the ball a bit. And he's got that long diagonal in him sometimes, but sometimes he plays it absolutely perfectly. And it's a brilliant ball from kind of the, the right back area into the left wing area. And it's it's perfect, but so many times it seems to just either pull it or or slice it, and it just it doesn't come off. He just doesn't seem to be able to pass out consistently. Um, like I say, sometimes he he does it well, but then it's just not consistent enough for me, and he quite often looks panicked. I think Bartley is just you know as as we've called him many times is more of a box defender. He, you know, if you feels like a kind of centre back that that Tony Pulis would like to use. Um, which is no disrespect to Bartley. He's got his, his strengths and he's much better in the air than probably any of our other centre-backs. But And it is and it is worth saying as well, Pete, that it is important to have somebody who can, who can do that, especially in this division, because there are certain clubs who are going to just put balls into, into your box. So you, you look at, for example, if, if Bartley had started that game against Rotherham away, I think that result would have been very, very different. Yeah, he probably would have dealt with Hugo a lot better than than the centre backs that played did. Um so there's yeah, there's definitely a use for a centre back like Bartley, but I feel like in more often than not we're gonna to want to be able to build up from the back and play through, kind of bring the pressure onto us and then play through it. And I wouldn't be comfortable with Bartley doing that every game of the season. So it's it's yeah, it's a fine balance to, to get it right there. I'm a bit unsure on Kit Bray. I think he's fairly fairly just well-rounded. He just seems to be quite average in a lot of aspects and not be brilliant at, at many, um, if any. Is I he think... one of those players, Pete, that that, that quite often actually fans kind of like just because he, he he does just every now and then have this like mad drive out from the, uh, from the back and end up on the edge of the opposition penalty area that he will leap almost his entire body height for a header from uh, from a corner he kind of does the the, the 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 stuff for the cameras if you like but if you're but but if you're a coach you're probably driving uh, pulling your hair out a little bit because because he you don't get the levels of consistency you would you would like out of him and whilst the sort of drives out of defense and everything might might look good I think we touched on this last season when we were analysing him, that actually the expected threat of where he doesn't lo- where he loses the ball isn't particularly high because he tends to lose the ball quite high up the field. But what that doesn't take into account is the fact that Kipre then can't get back 
if they break. So even if he loses it on the edge of the opposition penalty area, the XT of that is low, losing it there. But if they get the ball forward quicker than Kipre can get back, the expected threat suddenly becomes really, really high. And I just wonder whether Kipre is one of those centre-halves that as a coach, you, particularly a coach like Corbran, who plays the small margins and is very, very meticulous in finding those fine details to win games. If I was Corbran, I'd be looking at Kipre and going, if I'm looking at that literally, you know, a lot of one-goal victories in the, in a season, you are not consistent enough to make sure that I get enough of those one-goal victories. I can't say I've seen much of him this season at Cardiff, but last season when he did play a couple of games for us, it felt like he was very much su- suited to back three in, in a way that it kind of allowed him to, to dribble out with the ball um, and also allowed him to be quite aggressive in his challenges. He could kind of try and nip in front of a, a striker or a winger and, and win the ball when it was going into their feet. Whereas if you play in a back two, if you do that and you get it wrong, you're a bit more exposed. But, you know, in a back three, you've got your other centre-backs to sweep in behind and cover you. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm not sure whether he would be suited to, to a back two, um, well, a back four, two centre-backs. Um, and, yeah, I wouldn't be against moving him on. I think he was quite well-liked at Cardiff and I think... Well, I think I think Lamucci has said publicly that he would like to keep him, but he's he's just not sure what our plans are with him. So I think, the, the, but the big problem moving any player on, particularly to another Championship club, Pete, is is and we, as we found when we sold Callum Robinson to that very club, have they got the money to pay for him? Yeah, um, and most Championship clubs probably don't have the money to play pay for players. I think what do we get for Callum Robinson? About two or three million, which. Don't think it was even as much as that, mate. I think it ended up being about one point five. Was it? Which seems like a real bargain for Cardiff, but there just doesn't seem to be anyone in the. It feels like transfers are either going to be around that amount, or they're going to be much higher from Premier League clubs. There doesn't seem to be anyone able to pay kind of in the in the middle of the range. Well, let let me put. I actually because somebody somebody put on on social media that they thought we could. <laughs> so people will have seen the tweet. They'll have seen me go back to it. So I'm so I'm, I, I apologise for digging the account out because we have a, we have a nice bit of banter sometimes. Me and me and this Albion uh, Albion account, and I, I do mean it lightheartedly. But 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 I can't help but be, kind of be casually amused by how the runner of the account does it does seem to sort of um, think there's a lot more money in the game at the moment than there is. And and the, and the person running the account put out that, that um, if we could get, um, uh, I think it was six, uh, um, uh, six to eight million for Mowat and Kipre, he'd take that. And I, and I just was flabbergasted. I went, you will do well to get two for the pair of them. Um, and I, so I actually went and had a little look on transfer marked. Do you know how many clubs in the, in the, in the entire championship paid, paid 3 million or more for a player last season? Just, it, it, just off the top of your head, if you were to guess how many of the 24 clubs in the championship play, paid 3 million or more for a, for a player last season at any point last season, I guess five, one out six. So six. the three relegated clubs, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, and the other one who chucked a bit of money at it was Hull. Nobody else paid over £3 million for a player. 
if and there's going to be even less money in the championship this season if anybody thinks for a moment that the kind if we're if we're selling to championship clubs and let's be honest our last two finishes have been ninth and tenth so the majority of our sales are probably going to be to championship clubs it's not it's not like we're the team that's finished third and missed out on the playoffs and a bit like bit like with Huddersfield last uh, last season where people came knocking for Toffolo and O'Brien that's not going to happen with a lot of our players we, we, when when we're looking to sell and with the players that we're looking to sell the majority are probably going to be to the championship and if anybody thinks we're going to get significant fees we are talking in terms of fees for our players, the ones that we can shift for fees, the majority will be in the hundreds of thousands or at most, at most, the top end that we will look be able to get for anybody is about 1.52 mil, isn't it? Yeah, I can't imagine it being much more. And it's, yeah, like I said, there's, you feel like it's either selling to, to Premier League clubs who are going to pay a bit more, but we probably don't have the quality of player that any Premier League clubs are going to come knocking. Um or you sell them for to championship clubs who just who don't have the money, so it's going to be, yeah, one maybe two mil, a surprise if it's if it's anything more than that. So it's it's a difficult one because like with Callum Robinson, I think he's probably worth more than what we got for him, but there's just no one there that's that's able to to pay more. So it's kind of a decision you've got to make. Would you rather, you know, maybe sell him for lower than what his actual market value is, or and or would you rather keep him? And still have him on your wage bill, but you know, with the the way the relationship had gone there, I think it was probably the right decision. But I think Cardiff got got a bargain for him, to be honest. Um, and it's it could be the same this summer for a couple of players if if we do have to sell. The one that is the exception to that rule, Pete, where I think there is some serious value in the player is Dara O'Shea. Now, obviously, his injury doesn't help, but he, he uh, we've already seen pictures of him running on, on the grass in a knee brace. So he seems to be well on his way to being back. And I would imagine that if he had to have a medical this summer with, with somebody, I'm sure he would pass it. I, I've had one person in, in, in recruitment circles say to me, potentially sort of like six to eight million would be realistic for, for Dara O'Shea. I think he's probably the only player in the squad that could fetch that kind of money because DK possibly, if he'd had a full season scoring goals, might have been able to. But Swift and Wallace, as good as they are, are too close to 30 or over 30. I think Wallace has turned 30 now um, to fetch that kind of money. Again, Yukoslu, similar problem. Uh, Mullumby's just not... Uh, I, I mean, the difference O'Shea's got over someone like Malumbi is O'Shea has had a season in the Premier League and has shown up quite well in that season in the Premier League. So Dara is the one which could fetch some decent money. How tempted would you be if you were Albion to take that money? I think we both, we look, we highlighted on last week's pod that our drop-off when Dara came out the side was horrendous in terms of our defensive numbers. So having this conversation is not us saying we don't rate Dar O'Shea. I can categorically say on the record, both Pete and I rate Dar O'Shea extremely highly and think he's a very, very important player to West Bromwich Albion. But at the same time, you have to look at the assets within the squad and say, who can we sell at their market value to the Premier League 
And I think the only one, the only one in the whole squad for me that we can maximise the, the, the market value out of and probably get a Premier League club interested in is Daro Shea. And as much as it pains me to say it, Pete, I have to say, if, if somebody came knocking with about 8 million quid for Daro Shea, you'd have to take it, probably bank some of that money to pay off things like the loans and then use some of the rest of it to go and get a few frees in other areas. What That's that's where I am. I think I think if £8 million came knocking for Daro Shea, as, as much as I don't want to do this and I don't want to see Albion sell their best players, I think I'd have to take it. Yeah, I'd, I think I'd be very tempted if an offer of £8 million came in, but I'm still not sure I can see it. I, I think I'd be surprised if we got offered more than five million for him. But yeah, I think eight million you gotta you gotta consider it. I mean he's got I think he's got two years left on his contract, so you get to a point where it's either can we time down this summer for a few more years, or if not then then you're probably gonna look at trying to get a bit of value out of him and, and moving and that, him on. That in itself is very dangerous because obviously if the loan repayments kick in and, and we start throwing, say a I don't know twenty five grand a week contract at Daro Shea for the next three years, whilst you are whilst you're guaranteeing that you get a fee for Dara when you sell him, you've got to pay that contract if Dara remains a West Brom player. Yeah, and after last summer, we've got a few players that are tied down for a few years on what appear to be quite big contracts. So it's it's a risky game at the minute, especially with the the loan hanging over our heads and and an owner that's just disinterested so yeah it's, it's a it's a very difficult decision which is why i think if you do get an offer of, of eight million then you know you've got to you've got to seriously consider it um as much as i'd hate to see him go because i think he's our best our best center back quite comfortably and one of the players that's adapted to Corbin's system probably the best or one of the best um and just seems to be well yeah just seems to be a great bloke to have around the club has been given the armband and yeah I, I, I can't imagine any Albion fans would have much bad to say about O'Shea to be honest Is that kind of where you're at Pete? It, it, is that you you take one of two positions on Dar O'Shea this summer you either sell him for his value and cash him in or you try and tie him down to a longer term contract and you make him club captain uh, for, uh, for me what the one thing you don't do this summer is you don't. It, it, I think this would be the worst thing we could do: not sell Dar O'Shea, but not tie him down to a new deal, and therefore he runs into the last year of his contract, and you end up in a very Sam Johnston, Johnny Evans, Zoltan Geary type situation where we could lose one of our best players for nothing, or even a best case scenario for an extremely reduced transfer fee due to him being in the last year. Especially if he has another good season next season and you know, he's only gonna, you know, increase interest in him, increase the kind of offers he's getting for his wages, um and just probably be more tempted to just run down the contract. But yeah, I think we we need to do something with him. I mean, from a purely fan perspective, I'd say I'd love to see him in given a new contract and and make club captain. But if you look at it a bit more, um, a bit deeper, a bit more analytically, you probably want to consider, you know, is that going to be good for the the future of, of the club and are we going to be able to afford it in, in three years if we tie them down to a, a decent-sized contract? 
yeah, from that perspective, I think you've got to say that if you do get a good offer for him, which in my opinion is probably eight million or more, um, then you've got to you've got to consider it and take out the the emotional aspects of it and just you know kind of think of it as well just purely business. Another one that we have a decision to make on, Pete, is Eric Peters. I like Eric Peters, but for me, this decision is fairly straightforward. I think you let him go. He's obviously his his contract is up. He's thirty four years old. Um, he actually has soldiered well, really, really, really well through the games for us. But he has played through. I think it was a knee injury, wasn't it? Uh, for 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 a large part of the back end of the season. I don't see how at his age, if he's had to struggle with a with a with a niggling injury for a period of time, that that's not going to flare up. Although, look, obviously, I bow to sports science people and medical science people. They know I'm speculating there, but they know far better than I do. Um, but that would be just my guess. But but as I say, look, don't take that as gospel. I'm, I'm not. I, I don't have access to his medical records or anything like. That. But nonetheless, at 34. I just wouldn't be going there. And the other the other reason that I wouldn't be giving him another another year is if you do, we've already said we don't see Bartley and Ajayi moving on this summer. You end up with centre halves of Peters thirty four, Bartley thirty one, Ajayi twenty nine. You might have to sell your your young one in Dara at twenty four. I mean, we'll get on to Caleb Taylor in just a second, but to have three of your centre halves as thirty four, thirty one, and twenty nine. That's not great, is it? I, I I just think we need to get the average age of this squad down. I think we need to get players in who hold a value, a, a, a trans, a, a value. If we like Dara, that if we need to sell them, we can for a decent amount of money. And the reality of the situation is, you are never, ever, ever going to be able to sell Semi Ajayi, Carl Bartley, or Eric Peters for any any amount of money. And that that for me is why I would. release Eric Peters as much as I I am very very pleased with what he's done for much of this season it's not a reflection of his performances it's just a reflection of the fact that I don't think we need a 34 year old at the back I would release Carl Bartley next summer as well for for, for very similar reasons not least because he's played he started seven games this season and I think when you start having injuries to that level into your 30s it can snowball into a bigger problem, and uh, and and look, one the thing that's killed our season is injuries, and I'm and I'm looking I'm looking at too many of this squad, uh, and I'm seeing injuries. The I mean the the only one out of Dara Semi and Bartley who hasn't been had had a pretty serious injury at any point this season is the 34 year old who I'd be releasing. So, and we'll come on to the potential replacements in in a moment, but. I would be, I'd be letting Eric Peters go, um, and I would be looking to let Carl Bartley go as soon as his contract expires next summer, and I would be looking to replace these where we can with some younger players who are a little bit more free of injury. I think you've got to keep the the cycle going and and not get to a point where you end up at one summer and you've got you know four players in the same position that are all thirty three, thirty four. And you need to replace all of them at once. I think you've got to got to keep it kind of moving, where you've got players of kind of a range of ages, and they just kind of, you know, just keep moving up into to the the next role, if you like. So, like Eric Peters, I think he's done done well. Um, 
I think he's proved to be a good signing, and I think Corbrand's really liked having a left foot centre back in that position, um, which is beneficial. But like I say, if we go into next season, we've got well, we've got Dara, Ajayi, Bartley, Caleb Taylor coming back, and we've got Eric Peters. Then you know we've got a few too many players at the the end of their careers, and you know as you say, they become more and more risks of injuries when you know they get to that age. Um, so I think. Ideally, we'd probably let Peters go and bring in a younger centre-back, but I think with similar qualities to what he has in terms of being able to play on the, the left side of the centre-backs and being able to comfortable moving into wider areas um, in like early build-up and allowing Townsend to push on or push inside. But I think importantly that they are a few years younger, I'd probably be looking at players you know, between the ages of maybe... 22 to 26, 27, where they're just coming into the peaks of their career or early, just before that. Um, and they've got a bit of time ahead of them because we've got a Jai who, I'm not got the ages right in front of me, but I imagine it's 28, 29. Um, he's 29. 29. Um, obviously, Caleb Taylor's young. I think he's 21, um, maybe 22 now. He's 20. 20, even younger than I thought. Um and Dara O'Shea's kind of in the middle. I think he's 24, if I had to guess. He is. You're good 24. at this game. <laughs> Not bad. Um, play too much football manager, oh, I think. And that, now, how tall's Connor Townsend? 5'5", uh, <laughs> is he? <laughs> yeah, only when stood in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think it's important to have that kind of cycle of, of centre-backs. and Well, just in every position, you've got to keep the like the age profile of the squad, right, and not have too many players of that are young and inexperienced, but not have too many players that are, are older and are more susceptible to injuries. So, I think if we do keep Peters on, then we might be, um, yeah, might have a few, might have the average age, if you like, of centre backs a bit too high, and just and just kind of play the risk of them being getting injured more often and, and maybe not being as athletic as as we'd like. You mentioned Caleb Taylor there. Where does he fit into all of this uh, for you? Because obviously he's coming back from what has been an excellent loan at, at Cheltenham. They've they've obviously stayed up, stayed up very comfortably and were one of the favourites to go down, especially after Mike Duff um, moved on to Barnsley as, as manager. But it, you you put some data out the other, the other week, which we retweeted on uh, on the pod account. Um, so if anybody hasn't seen that, go back and have a look at it. And I think it showed Caleb Taylor as the third best defender in League One this season. I mean, I, I I had a trawl through that data, Pete. Things that jumped out at me: he wins he wins duels both aerial and on on the ground. He does actually dribble out of defence. Um, he he plays a lot, which is always an important factor. Forty five ninety minutes this this season. His positioning is good. He's a goal threat at corners. To be honest, the only real negative in his data is his passing. But then he's not really asked to pass at um, at, at Cheltenham. So. You know, it, it, it's difficult to know whether he's good or bad at that when he's not really asked to uh, asked to do it at, uh, at all. How ready do you think he he is? I mean, I uh, my take is he would one hundred percent be in the rotation for me uh, in terms of our centre halves. Would I be starting the season with him? No, probably not. Um, uh, as a twenty-year-old as who's completely untried at, at championship level, I, I would, depending on who we've got available, uh, whether it's 
Dara and Semi, whether we sign someone, uh, whether we let Dara go, whether it's Semi and Bartley, whatever that looks like, I would I would probably start the season with with two of the more experienced ones. But I would probably anticipate that as injuries come, Taylor gets his chance and probably takes it and probably never lets whoever he replaces back into the side. Yeah, I think he's had an extremely good season at Cheltenham. Um, I was speaking to a Cheltenham fan who's a performance analyst, not sure where, but working in the professional game. And he was saying that he's um, probably the best loan centre-back they've had in the past couple of years. And they've had some, some very good ones. Um, now, off the top of my head, I'm struggling to to remember. I think Jacob Greaves and Rodon, Joe Rodon. Yep, that's the one. Yep, I think they've had them in recent years. And he said that Caleb Taylor this season has been better than either of those two were when they were at Cheltenham. So I think that's extremely high praise. Um, and his numbers, you know, that back that up as well. I think he's yeah, as you say, in his jewels, his aerial jewels, um, defensive jewels, all really, really highly ranked just interceptions as well. I think um, on the whole, he's just kind of all his defensive metrics are excellent. It's maybe helped by the fact that he's playing for Cheltenham. We probably have teams attacking them quite a lot. Um, so in terms of just tackles made, interceptions made, it's it's going to be higher. But even in his success rates in his duels um, are high. So that's, that's promising. Um, and as you say, you know, he's about 55% up percentile in terms of his progressive runs for 90 so he likes to carry the ball out from the back but his passing numbers have been the weakest part but well yeah Cheltenham aren't known for their for their passing out from the back a lot of the I think they've got the one of the highest number of um long balls per 90 um in fact I think it was the highest highest number of long balls per 90 in uh, league one and the the four flows for possession so it's not like they're a possession side and it's not like he's been given his chance to showcase what he can do with the ball. I think a lot of the time it's he kind of has the ball and, and goes along with it. But if he was putting in a more possession-based side, side, would it be different? I think it's difficult to tell unless you give him a chance. But um, he's still he's still very young for a centre back, so it's probably part of his game that he can develop. And I think the only the only issue is that he's played in a back three, which I don't think it's a, a major issue. I don't think players tend to struggle too much switching between a back three and a back two, especially when a lot of the time we kind of shape up in a back three. It's just on paper that we're, we're a back four, you know, either furlongs pushed higher or inside or the same for Townsend and, and we just adapt to that. I think we kind of do, rotate Do you position. think as well, though, that Corbran would quite like the option to switch between a back three and a back two? He, he, has, he, he has very, very occasionally done it this season. Yeah, um, I think he's, well, we've said a lot of times that he's very adaptable to different circumstances. So if he feels like he's a back back through would be better for a game, then I don't think you'd really think twice about switching to it if he'd got the players available and he's done the work for it in training. So it is probably something that he would like and maybe Corbran would just see it as another bow to his string for Caleb Taylor if, that he is capable of playing in the back three. So I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let that fly. A bow to his string, Pete. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 uh, uh, I, I got you. I got you, buddy. 
<laughs> uh, it's a shame I'm not the one that does the editing, isn't it? But I'm sure that's going to make oh, it no, better. I'm leaving that in, pal. I'm leaving that in. But no, I, I, I completely get you. I mean, just uh, do you um, would, would you agree with me, though, that you probably you don't throw him in the deep end from from the off next season that maybe you kind of ease him in, but that he will definitely play a part? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably lean towards that. I think, I think it really does depend on how he does in in preseason. And I think um, was it Joe Chapman that put out an article saying that Corbrand's going to sit down and really study the footage and um, data of the performances of the lone players, Ashworth and Taylor in particular. I think and see where they stand. Um, so yeah, I think. Well, I think if Corbrand does see him as as being good enough. Then he might just throw him in because it depends what we've got as well. With assuming that Peters doesn't get tied down to another contract and he leaves, then we're probably going to be looking for somebody somebody to fill that left centre back role. Um, so I think he's he's probably in consideration as much as the other centre backs that are being at the club this season. So yeah, I mean, unless we sign somebody specific for it, I think it's you know that position is probably. probably available for somebody to take and if, if Caleb Taylor impresses in pre-season and in training and from everything that Corbyn studies before and then I wouldn't be too surprised if he was thrown in and it I mean it may save a bit of budget for elsewhere if he is capable and Corbyn can trust him to play that role. Just talking about options for centre halves, um, a few names to just chuck around uh, before we quickly move on to the fullbacks. And you'll you'll be relieved if if you if you're giving up much of your day to listen to this that we'll be able to get through the fullbacks a lot quicker than the centre halves because well, there's less of them. Um, but in terms of centre half options, Pete, I think we've both been largely looking at the the options on the free transfer market. The one that jumps out. Prominently is Jake Cooper at, at Millwall, 28 years old. A lot of what I've looked at here are, um, I've, I've been looking for guys who I think are really leaders, who've got some fight in them. Um, and also with, in terms of Corbram from set pieces, I mean, geez, what a threat Jake Cooper would be. But Does he present a little bit of a problem in the sense that, you know, as you said with Carl Bartley, he's not necessarily that well suited to Corbrand's style of play. Would you worry the same about Jake Cooper? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, it's kind of a tricky situation because we're largely looking at freeze, but we also need somebody that's actually going to suit the style of play that Corbrand wants to play. And yeah, there's definitely big question marks over whether Jake Cooper can can play that way. Um, I think, yeah, he was a bit more of a, a box defender. I mean, I remember looking at Murray Wallace from Millwall last season. His numbers stood out as, as really impressive, but I think he's since signed a new deal. But I think Yeah, I think Jake Cooper was Yeah, they kind they of... they they knocked Danny McNamara off my um uh, off my fullbacks list as well by signing him to a new deal, which really annoyed me. Yeah, I think Jake Cooper was... Um, I think he ran much better as a box defender, which probably isn't the kind of centre-back that we're looking for. As I've said previously, I think we're probably looking for somebody that's got a bit more technical ability to, to play it forward um, and build up from the back. One that I do, uh, I mean, let, let's just go through. I'll just run off a couple and then you can kind of give me your feedback on them, uh, Pete. Jack O'Connell is on a free from Sheffield United now. <laughs> Given what I've said about the injury problems within our squad, he, he's 29. He hasn't played a game since 2021. 
I don't think we'd go there personally. Um, but he is left. He is left sided. He is someone who we can change the shape with. Who showed he can drive forward. He's good on the ball, and he's one that if you fa- if you found you could get him fit, you might actually find you've got a bargain. But to be to be that long to be over two years without a game. I just think he'd ha- he'd be an enormous enormous risk. So I personally wouldn't go there. Jack Robinson from uh, from Sheffield United appears to be uh, going on a on a free. Um, again, twenty nine. Um, again, uh, uh, left uh, left sided centre half carries the ball well. Uh, wins aerial duels. Um, uh, he's he's got loads of shot creating actions as well. I mean, I'd like to see Jack Robinson, but concerns would be he is 29 and also how much money would he want? Um, Also, are Sheffield United going to try to keep him? Remains a question. It doesn't. I've had a little look Googling around and I can't really see it. There seems to be differing opinions. A lot of fans would quite like him to stay, but whether or not uh, whether or not he will is 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 another is another question. And then just a couple more names to throw into the uh, into the mix, Pete. Um, Dan Scar, six foot two centre half from from Plymouth. His contract is up. He is in talks with Plymouth over a new deal. He's twenty eight. Um, guys from Birmingham, ex Walsall player, um, had an excellent season at, at Plymouth this year as uh, as they've got promoted. I think he'd be a he'd be a decent option. And one that I would love to see, but I think it's very, very unlikely because I think he, he uh, from everything I've read, I've, I've read direct quotes from him saying that he wants to stay, is Alfie Jones at um, at Hull. Um, he's only 25. I think he's a brilliant centre-half. I think he carries the ball really, really well. He plays out from the back. I think, uh, and, and Hull's defensive record since Rossinia came in speaks for itself. Problem there is Hull have got um, have got a one year option on him, so we would definitely have to pay a fee, however small that might be, um, and that would and that would also involve Alfie Jones rejecting a new contract, which the 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 murmurings from him in the press are that he uh, that that he won't, um, and then the other one that was mentioned by a um, by a listener uh, that they would like you to just give your thoughts on are Van Hecke. Uh, I think I've I've said that correctly, Um, from Brighton, who's been on loan at Blackburn. They have activated the the extra year on his deal, but obviously it is only a one-year deal left on on him. Um, Again, might be a little unlikely. He said he doesn't want to go out on loan again, Um, so we would probably have to try and sign him permanently if we were going to take him and probably would have to prove to him that we could could show him uh, Premier League football. So... I think there's there's a few options there, Pete. I'm not worryingly. I'm not sure how many of them are really all that all that likely. I think Jake Cooper is the most gettable of those that I've highlighted, but I'm not sure how suitable he is. And I think if you if he does leave Sheffield United, I think you could push the boat out and get Jack Robinson, and he would be a very very good option. Yeah, I think Jack Robinson um, could potentially be decent, but. I don't know if he's he's young enough for my liking. I think he's thirty, and it's um, twenty nine. Twenty nine. Twenty nine is he? Yeah, it's still kind of on the board of where I'd like to be bringing players in because then you got him and Ajay kind of aging at the same time. And would you, you rather know. see us push the boat out for someone like Alfie Jones? 
Yeah, potentially. Um, I'm not. I don't think Alfie Jones ranks particularly great in terms of his data this season. But I mean, I think you've said that you've heard he's meant to be a, a brilliant character. Yeah, I, I mean, because I, there's there's one I'm going to throw into the mix on the in the fullbacks at Hull as well, which is which is Lewis Coyle, sorry Louis Coyle, I should say. Um, and the feedback I had on both of them is that they are they may what they lack in talent they make up for in attitude. Yeah, which is always going to be um, be a really a really big benefit. Um, and we've, I mean, I think we've done said it plenty of times on here that we've almost questioned the just whether we've got enough of the right characters within the dressing room. So if you can bring some in, then it's it's always going to be beneficial. You can you can never have too many, can you? So that's obviously yeah a great use. I think Van Hecke is um, he had a season. On loan at Blackburn, I think, and his data from that is, you know, is is pretty good, but it's not, it's not incredible. Um, he's just kind of fairly average at, at most things, which isn't a bad thing. But if it's going to cost us, and then I'm, yeah, again, I, I'm not sure if it's if that's the right deal. Um, you know, it's it's very tricky to actually find players that are are suitable. I think. There's a Austin. real lack of top quality centre half options on the free market this summer, or or with one year left, which is really where we need to be looking, isn't it? You might you might be having to get a really smart Premier League loan in potentially here, like yeah. Burnley did last season with uh, Harwood Bellis. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was just about to about to mention is um, Austin Trusty, who has been on loan at at Birmingham City. Um, oh, I love him and a great name as well. Yeah, and I believe he's an Arsenal player. I think so. He is. But then the issue with him is that he's he's twenty four. So are Arsenal going to want to loan him out again? Also, also an American. So maybe maybe DK. You know, if if they're pals. Yeah, maybe he can put in a good word. Um, but I think he'll be be quite a useful player to to bring in. Um, he's left footed, which I personally think Corbran is going to be looking for somebody that. It's comfortable, at least, with using their left foot to play that left centre back role. So if we can get them in on loan, it might be might be a good deal for us. Um, obviously, then we wouldn't wouldn't be paying the transfer fee and wouldn't be tied down to to you know a three year contract that we might not be able to afford in three years if we don't go up. So that could be a, a useful one to have. I did have a look at. Have, uh, sorry, Pete. I was just going to say, have, is that something we've got to explore? Because I, I, I felt it was criminal last season that we did not use the Premier League loan market in terms of young players. Obviously, we brought Albrighton in in the end in January, but I mean, the, the guy's in his thirties. We're not talking about Premier League two. 2021 20, 22 23 year olds here i thought it was absolutely horrendous that we did not use the uh, the, the 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 premier league loan market last summer yeah i think we do need to be looking at bringing in players on loan because it's just a a really useful way to to bring in quality players in the championship um because premier league clubs want to loan out their young young promising players that aren't going to get minutes in the premier league so if we can bring them in and use them, then you know it, it kind of benefits all parties. And, and to a very good coach as well, Pete, because I think we spoke about this last last season that probably part of what stood in the way of us bringing in loans was that Bruce is not necessarily a coach that they would want to loan young players to. Yeah, that probably doesn't help. I mean, with Corbran, I think it's kind of style of football that he's been playing with us is 
is similar to to the kind of football that is played at you know the top clubs in the Premier League. Um, so clubs are more likely to want to send players to you if you're going to play a similar style as to what they play. You know, clubs set up now from from youth football to to senior football, they quite often like to play the same football so that those youth players can transition into the first team relatively seamlessly. They don't have to pick up a a new style of football when they come in. So if Premier League teams are loaning out players, I'm sure they would like them to go to clubs that are, are playing at least similar kind of footballers to what what they play at their own clubs. So in that respect, it's probably easier to bring in loan players under Corbyn than it was under Bruce. Um, and it's definitely a market that we should at least be exploring because, as I say, it's, it's kind of a, a good deal for all parties, especially when we're not sure what our financial future is going to be looking going to be looking like, and how we're going to look in two or three years' time. Um, whether we can actually afford contracts that we're potentially offering out this this summer in three years' time is is going to be a big question. So, having to play on loan for just one season and then having them off the off the wage bill is is going to be a benefit. Moving on to the fullback area, Pete. I think this is a fairly straightforward one. I think um, my my personal take is uh, is that. Um, I don't. I think we need cover in both areas. I like. Uh, I certainly like Zach Ashworth, but I don't think he's ready. Um, and Ethan Ingram, I, I'm afraid, I think is a little bit further away from ready. The question with Ethan Ethan Ingram whether or not he will ever be ready. Um, it's too early to say, of course, on that one. But I think he uh, he definitely definitely needs a loan before he can get anywhere near being ready i think i think ashworth from what i hear the feedback on his loan at burton was good but i i don't think you go from having a few months at burton and a good few months at that to suddenly being ready to to be back up to Connor Townsend, but I also don't think it would benefit him to be back up to Connor Townsend i think i think he needs a full season playing games somewhere I don't want to see him come and have to because Connor Townsend does not miss a lot of games. I don't want to see him have to sit on the bench or or probably to be honest, you don't put a fullback on the bench necessarily a lot of the time. So I don't want to see him have to sit there and, and get zero minutes and probably not even be in a match day squad for much of the season. I'd rather see him go out on loan. I think with Furlong, I like him. But he's inconsistent uh, for me. I, I, I know you and I are on slightly different pages on this. I'm still not 100% sure whether he's the right fullback for uh, for, for the system. I think Townsend is, we've, we've talked about this in recent weeks, so we don't necessarily need to give the reasons why we think this. Uh, but for me, Connor Townsend is one of the best left backs in the division. And there's, there's absolutely not, not a doubt in my mind that he goes into next season as, as a first choice. But... For me, Pete, I think you 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 can't ship out Furlong or Townsend. I don't think there will be a load of suitors for them. Townsend is clearly a very good fullback, but he's thirty years old. I don't see Premier League clubs lining up to take him for the kind of money that we would want to sell him. I don't imagine he's one of our biggest earners either, so I don't see the value in moving him on. And I just don't think Furlong has showed enough for somebody to come and try and take him off us. So I think those two stay. I think Ashworth and Ingram need to go out on loan, which means desperately, desperately, we need some backup to Furlong and Townsend. And personally, I would be looking at the left-back slot and saying, 
if you can find a left back. I mean, for example, say you brought in Jack Robinson as a centre-half. Jack Robinson has played left-back before in his career as well. Um, same with O'Connell, if he was to come in. But again, given the amount of football he's missed, that's unlikely. I think you, you, would, you would probably say, well, Townsend doesn't miss a lot of games. So if you brought in somebody like Robinson, you'd probably have a degree of faith that Townsend will probably only miss at most four or five games a season. So you can probably get away with a centre-back slash left-back in that role. I would like to see a specialised right-back brought in to challenge Furlong because I'm not 100% convinced on Darnell Furlong. I'm not convinced he's, he's, the, he's the right player there. And I would, like to be, I would like to see us be able to rotate that position a little bit more and to see if somebody can really challenge Furlong for that role, because I don't think we've, we we haven't had a naturalized challenge to Darnell Furlong's right pack position, probably since we had Nathan Ferguson. What do you think? Yeah, I think Conor Townsend, um, I don't think his spot should really even be considered. Um, it's probably one of the last plays, uh, positions in the squad that I'd be looking to bring in a starting player, because I think Townsend is, is one of the best fullbacks in the division. Um, with my rankings, I've got him as the best all-rounder. Well, the best fullback in the all-rounder style that I've created in terms of his numbers. So, yeah, I, I really struggle to see why we um, try and bring in a left-back for competition when we're on such a tight budget. Um, Ashworth, which, which is which is a little bit, <laughs> which in a weird sort of a way is a tiny little bit frustrating because one of the best frees that seems to be available this summer is is Ryan Manning which which I don't think we really we really need but I think somebody is going to pick up one heck of a player and before we started this pod Pete we did we did have a look at his numbers oh my goodness me is he the best attacking fullback in the division shot creating actions in the 99th percentile 99th percentile for non penalty um expected uh, xg and uh, expected uh, uh, assisted goals 97th percentile for assists 96th percentile for shots total 91st percentile for touches in the attacking penalty area 98th percentile for progressive passes received i mean if we needed a fullback you'd be falling over yourself to sign sorry if we needed a left back to start games you'd be falling over yourself for him wouldn't you but I'd really like Ryan Manning and he's completely different to Connor Townsend because actually his defensive data is not very good in any way compared to Townsend's but if you if we needed a a left back you'd be falling over yourself for Ryan Manning wouldn't you but I I can imagine he's going to command fairly decent wages and I just don't think they're, they're wages we need to we need to spend this summer yeah if you wanted an attacking left back or even a left wing back then. Yeah, I think he'd be a brilliant signing. Um, but it's just not a priority position for us, I don't think. So I'd be I'd be surprised if we did go for him because we need to kind of save that money and spend it elsewhere. If you I mean if Middlesbrough go up or and they don't keep Giles then I think that's somewhere that we both said would be very suited for the Manning. Very like for like Giles Manning for Giles, doesn't it? Yeah, they're definitely the best two um the best two attacking wing backs in the division. So, yeah, for for someone like Middlesbrough, maybe it's it'll be a brilliant signing. But for us, I just don't think it's 
the priority position and I don't think it's probably worth the, the wages that it would cost us to actually bring him in despite him being a brilliant player Ashworth is um, from what I've heard he's I think he's done quite well at um, Burton but I mean it's a strange one because his data isn't particularly good but from what I've heard it's he has some very good performances um well, they had a real uptick in results after he after he went there. I mean, they 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 ruined about three or four teams' promotion hopes over the latter weeks of the season. Yeah, and I I don't know if he's I can't say I've watched any Burton this season, but from looking at Ashworth's numbers, I assume they're quite a direct side because he seems to have a lot of um, kind of forward passes and long passes, which might be why he doesn't show up particularly well in in the numbers because he's not, not being asked to to do um well to kind of play much if you know what I mean it's it's very very direct um yeah 52.5% of his passes are forward that's in like the 95th percentile so it's yeah it just seems to be very direct um from what I've heard he's had a good season can't say I've watched any of him but he doesn't show up well in the data but I again I'd you I think I'd probably look to send him out for another year on loan he's still young he's either 19 or 20. Um, so, yeah, probably send him out on loan. And, and at that point, you've got to look for, for a backup fullback. But I agree with what you were saying, that if they're a centre-back that can play in fullback, then it's it's probably a better option because of, well, just the tight budget again. Um, and we don't need a starting start left-back. So it's if we can get somebody that can cover both positions, I think we would be better off. And like you say, Townsend, it's very rare that he misses a game. So, yeah, I think that's that's where I'd be for the left back. In terms of the right back, I really like Darnell Furlong. Um, I know not everyone does, um, but I think especially in the last couple of, of weeks, he's really adapted to the role that Corbin's asked of him. He seems comfortable kind of moving into different areas of the pitch, um, coming inside and, and also pushing higher up the pitch. So I, I personally wouldn't be looking for somebody to just come in and straight away replace him. Don't think competition is a bad thing because, like you say, he's not really had any in the past couple of years. So it's it's kind of just been his spot, and, and that's not really been in question. Gordon Hickman played a little bit of wing back, but he seems to be better suited to centre mid, um, and I think that's where Corbran wants to play him. So, and Ingram, even Ingram, he's just yeah, he, he doesn't seem to really be in the picture yet. It feels like another one he, that could he got do with torn alone. apart at Derby, mate, in the League Cup. I mean, he's just—I, I just don't think he's there. I really don't think he's there yet. Yeah, and you know, he's very young. He's—I don't think he's had any low moves in his career, so I don't think he's really played any senior football apart from, you know, a couple of cup appearances. But yeah, I'm not saying he couldn't get there. I'm just—I'm just saying you. I don't think you could. If 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 Furlong got an injury, I just—I—I I, I just think you'd destroy the kid if you threw him into Championship football. Yeah, exactly. He's probably one that you look to loan out and just try and get him a bit of experience. You can't rely on him to suddenly just walk into the to the squad if Furlong gets injured and, and be good enough to play in the Championship. But that's just—I think that's a completely unrealistic expectation of him. Um, so it'd be better if pursued to a loan, I think. So in which case, you need to bring somebody in. And yeah, I think you'd want somebody that is going to be able to challenge for a long and maybe take his spot off him. But yeah, well, I think I don't think we need a new starting fullback, but I think we could do with somebody that will challenge for a long. Um, 
yeah, Furlong's quite well-rounded, I think. Um, he can do most things at a, a reasonable standard. He seems to, as I say, be one of the players that has been quite comfortable in the the Carlos Corbram side. And he seems to link up and rotate with Mullumby and, um, and Wallace quite well, who I can... Well, I think they'll both be key players in the squad next season. I don't think that's really in question, not to, to ruin any of the uh, the future episodes, but I think it's good to have those connections in the squad and, and kind of understand who you're playing with. In terms of fullback options, uh, I mean, look, I, I really haven't highlighted any any left-backs. Uh, I mean, I put Manning down on my list, obviously, because, uh, as I say, I think he's one of the best uh, the best free transfers around, but I just I don't think he's for us. I, uh, you know, he'd be he'd be a cracking player at twenty six, and he's completely different to Townsend. But and if and if we if if we actually were a a very rich championship club i'd be 100 percent saying saying go for him um and play townsend in the games which suit townsend and play manning in the games that suit manning but we we haven't got that luxury and i wouldn't be going there at at, at um at left back would you be would you be similar to me in that you'd probably quite like to see a jack robinson or a jack o'connell if he could prove his fitness who can play center half and left back and that solve that problem and at right back, um, the options I've got here, I think my number one by a country mile is Zach Viner at Bristol City. Now, he has got a one-year option on his contract um, in the club's favour at, uh, at Bristol City. So we would almost certainly have to pay a fee for him, but it, it's not been confirmed yet that he signed a new contract, a longer-term contract. He might, but... He can play multiple positions. He can play right back, centre half. Um, he's also skippered them at times this season, which speaks volumes for his character. He's only 25. He's the right age. And similarly, you've got Louis Coyle, as I mentioned, at um, at Hull. Similar, similar problem in that um, they have a year's option on him. But again, he's skippered them. He's 27, so he's a, he, he's a decent age. I think they are the two that jump off the page to me as right back options. Again, Hoyle can tuck inside if you if you need to. I think we need to get players who've got a level of versatility in them this this summer. If I was looking for a right back, I think Viner and Coyle would be my choices. The other one that it would be remiss of me not to flag though, Pete, because we talked about the um the last time Furlong had any real challenge was from Nathan Ferguson for that right back position well he's he's on a free this summer um and he 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 can play right back center half and left back um again he hasn't played a lot of football but you know would would you be half tempted to see if you could bring Nathan Ferguson back it'd be interesting to see how the fans would receive that one but he is he is an option I mean maybe maybe he just maybe he's had a bad time in London and he just wants to come home I think so my question to you really in terms of recruitment is with the left back slot, would you probably be looking for a left sided centre half who could also play left back like Robinson or O'Connell and right back? What do you think of the options of Hoyle, Viner or potentially Ferguson as adaptable players, certainly in the case of Viner and Coyle who have the right leadership skill sets um, and, you know, might be available. They're a good. They're a good age. 
and could challenge Furlong, but also could play other positions if Furlong does continue to nail down the right-back slot? I think left-back, yeah, definitely. Um, probably bring in a left-sided centre-back that's also comfortable playing there. And with the right-back position, I think Viner is a good option. He, I was looking at him as a centre-back earlier, um, and his numbers stood up quite well. But, you know, that versatility to, to play fullback is obviously useful as well. And then Coyle ranks pretty highly in terms of the data. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see him as well. Um, decent age, kind of at the coming to the peak of his career. And I think we'd provide some some competition, definitely. And then apart from apart from that, I think you'd kind of be looking at the at the loan market. Thoughts on Ferguson? Ferguson, sorry, I forgot about Ferguson. Um, yeah, it's it's a risky one after the last two or three years, however long he, he's been gone. Um, three years, I think. Obviously, he spent the vast majority, vast majority of it injured. So, it's yeah, we've, it really depends what his actual, what his physical state is like. If you kind of risking a player that's just gonna get injured again, it's it's probably not worth it, is it? But no, but at twenty two, uh, uh, you know, if he could prove his fitness, I imagine he he would be one that you'd potentially look at and say. That's that's an absolute snip, and and uh, it's probably the only problem with it, I suppose, is can can you take the emotion out of it from the Albion fans' point of view that you know he did walk away. I personally think he had every right to. I don't think the club had had shown any real interest in in in, in offering him a long term deal until he started to be of value to them. So I actually don't have a problem with the fact that he walked away. I think uh, I, I don't think as a club we can we can demand loyalty off players when we don't we don't gamble on them a little bit that we don't we don't back them to become good players we 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 didn't offer ferguson a long term deal until he was playing first team football which to me is not necessarily the right way if you believe in somebody get them tied down before they become a real you know uh, before they basically put themselves in the shop window um and yeah Nathan Ferguson did we tried to keep him we couldn't do that it is what it is to a certain to a certain degree but i think if he could prove his fitness i think there may be a snip there yeah i, I personally don't have a problem with him after he left either yeah similar to you it's he's got to go and earn his money and if the club's not going to show faith in him then then why should he stick around and when he's going to get better contract offers elsewhere yeah it's 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 a risk but partly because of his injury record and also because he spent so much time out injured in what's probably a key kind of phase of his career such you know it's he only spent one one season half season in playing first team football and then obviously moved on to Palace and has been injured since basically so it's not only is he is the risk that he might get injured again but he's missed so much time in kind of the years that you'd expect him to develop quite a lot is he still going to be as high potential as he was when when he left us um I'm not really sure it's I think there's a lot of risk attached to it and you know it might be because of that risk it might be an absolute bargain for somebody and still be a really good player um so it's yeah I think if the the price was good enough in terms of his wages then it's it's a risk worth taking but yeah you definitely got to acknowledge the the risk that comes with it and and kind of if you are going to offer him a contract price that into the the contract offer as well um but going back to the to the loan market, there's probably a couple of players there that we could potentially be interested in. I think Ethan Laird is he's a Manchester United player. I'm not 
if I'm correct, um, that's been on loan at, at QPR um, and has had has had a pretty good season. Um, he's, you know, a very good ball carrier, um, likes to move the ball up the pitch with the ball at his feet. Excuse um, my ignorance, Pete. Is he left or right? He's played right back, I believe. And yeah, another another right back potentially on loan that um, is also very good at carrying the ball forward is um, Norton Cuffey. I think he's I think he's an Arsenal player that's I think he spent the first half of the season on loan at Rotherham and has since gone to Coventry on loan. I was um, impressed with him for Cov. Yeah, I think he spent last season on loan at Lincoln as well, and he was he was very highly thought of there. Um, again, a player that just kind of loves to have the ball at the feet ball at his feet and, and move forward with it, carrying, taking players on. And it's just quite an exciting um quite an exciting fullback. Um so I think we kind of yeah, I don't think Furlong or Townsend are, are naturally good dribblers with the ball, um, and like to take players on. So it, it might be useful to have somebody that offers something different, such as um Norton Cuffy or, or Ethan Laird and can actually take a player on and, and move the ball forward when they're carrying um through the carries. So yeah, as we said, with Corbran, he's, he seems to be very adaptable. So if he's got players that he can kind of adapt his style with and, and not just stick to the same thing every week, then I think he'll find that useful. Um, so, yeah, I think, well, we've said it before that the loan market is, is going should be key to our recruitment this summer. Um, so I think both Ethan Laird and, and Norton Coffey are both be good options. Before we finish, just one more that I want to mention, and just just to say, obviously, this is probably going to be the longest of uh, of the the positional pods that w- that we do, just because I think defense is probably the area where we need to need to do the most movement in and out, um, and there's, there's there's the most amount of variables. I think that the midfield one, without spoiling too much, I think uh, I think we're both going to say we're reasonably happy with the first choice options but you know possibly that 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 there needs to be a little bit more depth there and and striker wise i think is an area where we need again need to get some depth into the squad but maybe uh, but but again maybe there there are a decent amount of options there so i wouldn't expect all all the pods to be of this length but there are there's there, there is a general point that that, that i want to make pete um something that you highlighted because in my research i was very very proud of myself um for going further than I feel Ian Pierce has ever ever gone in his uh, in his recruitment research, um, and I found a player called Patrick Pfeiffer, who's a six foot five centre half, twenty three years old. He's German. He's um, he's playing for Darmstadt, who look like they are going to win the Bundesliga too, and he looked absolutely perfect. Um, four goals, one assist. Passing numbers are excellent. He is being courted by Bundesliga clubs, but lower Bundesliga clubs, which means he would not be out of our our range. He's playing out from the back. Numbers are absolutely phenomenal. And he looks amazing. But in a post-Brexit world, Pete, it does uh, you, you highlighted the problem that comes with actually looking abroad at the level we're at, that somebody like Pfeiffer, however fantastic he looks... He hasn't got any international caps. He's kind of got dual citizenship between Germany and Ghana. And that these players are just highly unlikely to get work permits. And as much as, you know, we've identified a player there who looks phenomenal, the the reality of the situation is that 
we probably aren't going to be able to get these players because the foreign players who are going to be able to come in are going to have to have some level of international experience or are going to have to be playing in a decent league. And we probably aren't going to be able to afford those players. Does that really mean that the majority of our shopping is going to have to be done in the EFL leagues or the or Premier League 2? to be honest with you, um, and that probably foreign players who who do look fantastic like Pfeiffer due to the work permit restrictions that have come in because of us leaving the EU um, are going to stop us from probably bringing in players from foreign leagues, from smaller leagues where we might have shopped in the past but probably can't shop now. Yeah, I'm just, I was just reading through it now and I think potentially if Darmstadt win the Bundesliga two, then he might just get enough points, but you know it's it's very tight. Um, but largely, I think recruitment's got to be um, domestically based. There's a few leagues that you can potentially recruit from as long as players are playing regularly, because it's you know the leagues are broken into bands and you get different points for, for basically the percentage of appearances you make in each league and um, whether you play internationally as well, and if you play in any any. Uh, club competitions internationally like Champions League, Europa League the South American equivalents as well but it's kind of you know top top five European leagues that you can recruit from and, and maybe some of the others as well so you're looking at the Bundesliga La Liga, Serie A, French League Ligue 1 and then maybe even the Portuguese League, Dutch Belgian, Turkish um, those kind of leagues are, are all banned too so if the player's playing regularly enough and the the team that you're signing them from finish um, high enough in the table, then you know they they tend to get enough points. But it's probably the difficult. Belgian league, though, is they all play for Burnley, mate. <laughs> That's true. If any of them are any good, then Vincent Company has already snapped them up. So, but yeah, it's 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 become a lot a lot more difficult um, since Brexit. But um, so I think largely we'll we'll be focused on domestic players, but. You know, we signed Akaya Kuzlu from from Spain, so it's it's not it doesn't completely rule out um, European players, but it, it definitely does um, tighten the pool of players that we can sign from. Which you know, it's obviously not very really, it's not beneficial for a recruitment department, but you know, it's the same rules for everyone. So it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? There's not, nothing you can do about it. Absolutely. And it means Albion are going to have to get intelligent with their recruitment, something that we haven't done for a few years, unfortunately. Well, that's all for the goalkeepers and defenders pod. But we will be back with a midfielders pod looking at Albion's current midfield options and where we feel we need to improve the the, 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 the likes of Moat coming back from loan as well, what we feel we should do with him. And then we will do a separate pod after that, looking at Albion's forward options. Please join us then. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, 
let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.